Hi, everybody. I'm Gus Johnson along with the governor. He says he got all his genes from his mom. From his mom. A lot of nylon. A lot of excitement in the air. Yes. And we're ready for college basketball. College basketball. Oh, oh. What's up, everybody? Welcome to week 13 of the Big East Barroom presented by SeatGeek. Please use the code BEBR at checkout to get $20 off your first order. You're going to want to see your team qualify for the NCAA tournament. Maybe you want to grab some tournament tickets. Maybe you want to go see your team play in a random, you know, county that you've never seen. Right. We are on a Sunday evening, a random county we've never seen before. You're on a Sunday evening. How are you doing? Doing well. Um, just wrapped up the Providence Villanova game, which was an ugly game. Not one of my favorite games of the Big East season, but it seems like January, early February has had a lot of ugly games. You know, middle of the winter, kids are getting tired. You're in the heart of conference play. You're, you're beaten up a little bit by the conference play. Um, I mean, I think that's fair to say that like a little battle of attrition right now is going on. You know, people are freshmen are starting to hit some freshman wall and then some freshmen are starting to you know, go over that wall a little bit. Um, yeah, every, right, Providence, I, every Providence game has been a battle of attrition recently. Right. I said, you know, when we were talking about this, I'm still on a high. We just had Quincy Oliveri on, you know, the hero of the Big East this week. You don't normally have a player on who averaged 33 points in a week. Um, you know, I, I'm i going to be hyped this whole episode because we throw Quincy on at the end now because he's the team of the week. But I'm, I'm on a high right now because we just had one of the better guys on in the Big East and one of the better players on in the Big East. Yeah, an emphasis on one of the better guys. I mean, you just – and we said it while we were talking to him. But, I mean, it's so much fun to watch a, a, a guy who – such a good guy have so much success. It's just a lot of fun to watch. So, right this week, you have a very specific way you would like to talk about these teams. We're going to stick to three minutes about all of them. But you were very, you know, you had this weird way you wanted to go about it. So, like, just tell us, like, the people, the creative mindset that you're in right now. Listen, we're going to go out on a ledge this week. This came straight down from the top, straight down from the producers. We're going to go alphabetical order. Somebody's got to do it. If you're going to get controversial, I mean, this is the way to do it. So we're going to go right into the Butler Bulldogs, who, after a brief error, we have realized is the first team in alphabetical order. So let's put three minutes on the clock and talk about Thad Mattis' greatest. Right. I think it's very easy to say this is the best game of the week. They play 99-98 win over Creighton um, at Creighton, one of the best games of the Big East season. I think aesthetically pleasing because the offense was getting up and down at all ends. Um yeah, I mean, like, Butler needed this win. After they had beaten Villanova last week, um, they're really trending towards a bubble berth. And to get this win over Creighton at Creighton, they now own a win over Creighton at Creighton and a win over Marquette at Marquette. Yeah, this was huge. I mean, this probably puts them into the NCAA tournament if the season ends today. Um, that's how big of a win it was for them. And they gutted this one out. And they, you know... And you're absolutely right that the offense was getting down, up and down on both sides. Now, listen, this game wasn't good if you enjoyed defense in any capacity. But the shot making was incredible. And specifically, Jamil Telfort. We know Creighton's biggest weakness is their four. 
Thad Maddow, you know, one of the great coaches in college basketball, also knew that. And he put Jamil Telfort. And, I mean, Jamil Telfort, he was just incredible. He was spectacular. Right. I'm I'm going to – I agree. Jamil Telfort, when he goes off like that, like, for me, it's almost – it's potential realized. I mean, this guy is – We've talked about it when we went to Big East Media Day. He is the only person who stood out as being like, oh, that is a grown, you know, that is not a college kid. Um, I want to talk for a second about two players that I'm partial toward, towards. Um, Posh Alexander didn't play in this game. You're playing without your point guard against Creighton, the top 15 team in the country. Landon Moore, Finley Bizjack. I mean, these are two players. I'm partial because we've had them on our podcast. But Finley Bizjack had not averaged – he's averaging 3.9 points per game this season. He goes into this game, and he average, he scores 11 points on three of three from um, three. I feel like Butler's complimentary pieces, you know what you're going to get from the top four. What their complimentary pieces give you is going to be what dictates their season. Tyler, are they an NCAA tournament team as of today? Yes. I mean, yeah, I mean, their resume is better than um their resume is better than Seton Hall right now, probably. Uh it's not no, they Seton Hall beats UConn and Marquette. We're talking about it like in the same breath. Uh yeah, I think Butler it they beat Texas Tech. Um yeah, Butler's a tournament team and they look every bit of a tournament team. Their eye test is very much appealing. Yeah, I think in terms of the bubble for the Big East, this is one of the biggest stock-ups over the last couple of weeks. We've had a few teams with big stock-downs, but Butler has been stocked way up and really fun to see. Um, but that is B, so that means we're moving over to C. Those would be your Creighton Blue Jays. So let's talk about the other side of that game. Yeah, I mean, listen, here's here's the finicky part of college basketball. If Creighton hits a shot or two down the stretch. We're talking about, you know, they survived a game, which there wasn't a whole lot of defense played. I, I, For me, this is a stock neutral game for Creighton. Um, they're playing against a team that I think is wildly underrated right now. Uh, but, you know, to lose in your home building is never a good sign, especially against a middle-of-the-pack team. Tyler, what is your opinion on fouling up three? You think it's Bush League? I, I mean, listen, here's the thing. Until there's a rule against it, your job is to win the game as a coach. However, the NCAA tournament does have a duty, in my opinion, not the NCAA tournament, the NCAA committee has a duty to try to provide the greatest entertainment for anybody. You're only watching because you want to be entertained. So there is a fair point to say, you know, we want to be entertained and therefore we should not have to watch somebody foul up three, but you know, this this was a tough game for Creighton. Um, I don't know. I, I, does it change your opinion about Creighton? Steven Ashworth looks really good over the last few games. No, I mean, very few teams are going to be able to score like that on Creighton. They, Butler has a lot of guys who are good shooters, especially when you don't have Posh Alexander in the lineup. You uh, replace him with Landon Moore, who's a much better shooter. He's playing drop coverage, and you get a lot of opportunities to get shots off, especially if you're on a Jemmy Hotel for it and, and pick and rolls and stuff like that. I think they just were excellent. They had an, Butler had an excellent shooting night. I don't think Creighton's defense is significantly worse than what we thought prior to this. But 
the same weaknesses they've always had continue to exist. They're not a team that's going to win in a, a beat-you-up wrestling match. And the defense had a really bad night against Butler, or you look at him, Butler's offense had a really good night that night. I think most of the time the defense is going to be effective to some degree, and that's your floor. But the but the offense is the uh, the question mark for them. The offenses? I think so. I disagree strongly. Right, if we're going to talk about the next team, we have to talk about the – and unfortunately, we have to give three minutes to the DePaul Blue Demons. They lost um to 39-72 to to Seton Hall, and they lost 68-93 to to Xavier. This is the worst high major team in the country. I don't know if there are any conversations to be had outside of who is the next head coach that needs to be hired there and what pieces they want to carry over to next year. We are much in a conversation like Georgetown of last year where this team will not be winning a team in uh, conference play. Yeah, me and Brian DeNovellis were talking on Twitter, and some people got mad. I don't, think team, I don't think this team would win against Louisville today. I, I think that this team has regressed since their play against Louisville, and Louisville has somewhat moved forward. Louisville has several wins in the ACC conference play. DePaul has not come close to a single win. Watching them against Seton Hall, because I did watch this game for some reason, because I'm a masochist. It doesn't even look like basketball. I don't know if they'd have a winning record in a mid-major conference. They, everybody who's involved should be have some some amount of shame right now. Um. Yeah. I mean, right. I think you're being relatively nice. This team has no defensive intensity. They have no idea what they're doing offensively, other than running around and trying to shoot as many shots as they can. They are an athletically inclined team because they brought in very high major players, you know, four-star, five-star recruits. And they are one of the worst teams in college basketball that I've ever seen. Um, there were points in that game where I'm watching it and I'm not even sure that it almost looked like, you know, after a foul is called where you kind of like play out the next like two seconds and you're like, oh, well, you know, we're not really playing, but like got to make sure that's how the whole game looked for DePaul on defense. Um Highlighted by the end of the game where um, our one of our favorite players, to be clear, Deshaun Nelson throws the ball out of bounds um, on a missed free throw. This game was, especially the Seton Hall game, you know, we're just reminded that like Seton Hall might be, you know, six, seven, four, five, six, seven in the conference, and they are head and shoulders above what DePaul is. Um, Georgetown is not even in the Let's cut it. Let's stop talking about DePaul. Let's move on. I can't keep doing this with DePaul. They're getting a minute next week. They're done. Well, right. Then your other team that we'd have to talk about is the Georgetown Hoyas, which also lost 91 to 57. Against Marquette. Yeah, I mean, it's Marquette. Marquette's a really good offense. But you're talking about similar – I mean, we're talking about non-basketball issues. Did you see the video of Ed Cooley getting into it with Jay Heath in the huddle? I'm not really getting into it, but having to um, tell Jay Heath to pay attention while he was in the huddle, I mean, that's embarrassing. And I'm not calling out players because it was on national television and the coach did it, but – Right. You ready for a rant? No. DePaul kept Marquette within 13 points. What the hell are we doing here? We're talking about this team like Georgetown is head and shoulders over DePaul. They have 
five times the amount of talent. They have five times the amount of coaching talent. And we're talking about them losing by 34 points to Marquette. This team is not even close. The fact that we are talking about Ed Cooley and any breath of great coaching nowadays is pathetic. He has absolutely embarrassed himself at Georgetown this year. His highlight is congratulations on his monument right now outside of Georgetown next to John Thompson would be congratulations. You kept Providence within a six-point game at your own homecoming. First off, he beat the ball. Secondly, he won by one. Secondly, 10 years of great coaching at Providence is not erased because he's had one bad season at Georgetown. This Georgetown season is worse than anybody could have expected, right? Georgetown fans will tell you the same thing. The future is still bright. They still have Sorber. They still have Mulready. They still have McKenna coming in. Those are three of the top recruits. I mean, they're three of the top six recruits coming into the Big East overall next year. And they have three of them. But, but here's why No, he's going to force people out that need to get forced out. He's going to keep guys that he can build around. Ed Cooley's going to build this program as he builds every program. You don't forget how to coach just because you're a traitor to your hometown. And I'm not saying he's not, but he's still a damn good coach. Ryan, here's the problem. Who are the top three recruits in the Big East this year? Stefan Castle. Yep. Arway Duell. I don't know the third. They're the three of them are the top three. Two of them are having pretty, like, eh seasons. You do not have everything right because you have a freshman class coming in that is really good. You have no one near what Stefan Castle is recruited as. All right, to be clear, Ryan Nemhart, Trey Alexander, and sure. uh, Arthur Kaluma all came in as four stars one year, and they almost and they took that team to the NCAA tournament. But, but, so to, but to take one year, that's that's a fallacy. But to say that because they're big-time recruits, they're going to be great is ridiculous. Ed Cooley has proved Drew Fielder is a very big-time recruit. He has done nothing with Drew Fielder. Okay, so you don't want to go by what they're considered on 247. How about we go by Ed Cooley's track record of identifying talent? Bryce Hopkins, Devin Carter. Sure. So where if he's really good at identifying talent, let's let's play your game here. He's good at identifying talent. Ryan, how many transfers does he have this year? Who cares? Who cares about this year? It was never supposed to be. He, he, didn't, spend, he, he didn't spend the NIL money he was supposed to spend this year either because he knew he wasn't going to win this year. Because he can't recruit in the Georgetown area right now in terms of transfers. It's not that serious. You're overreacting. Anyhow, Georgetown's really bad. That's three minutes on your Georgetown Hoyas. Let's move over to the Marquette Golden Eagles. Marquette played two games this week, and they lost 85-80 to against Nova, and they beat a Division II school 91-57 in Georgetown this week. Um, Rye, I think – I think if we're going to talk about anything, we have to talk about the um, one Division One matchup they played, which is against Villanova. Tyler Kolek. I mean, this game was – if the Creighton-Butler game didn't happen this week, this is probably the best game of the Big East season. Um, in terms of – it was just back and forth and back and forth. I believe that Tyler Kolek at one point assisted or scored on 17 straight Marquette points. You know, Tyler Kolek is showing that, you know, this Marquette team still runs through him and the Big East might – I don't think it runs through him because I think UConn's shown enough that they are head and shoulders above. However, Tyler Coke will have a say on who wins the biggest tournament. Yeah, I mean, I have a little umbrage with the term head and shoulders above for UConn being above Marquette, but I do think right now they're a class above. I think they're the best team in the country, so um, I, I guess I won't die on that hill. But yeah, Tyler Kolek... When he's playing like that, Marquette is a Final Four caliber team. 
like when Tyler Cole plays like an All American, they are a Final Four caliber team. It's a little scary that that much of their team success hinges on whether Tyler Kolick is able to just be the best player on the floor any given night. But I mean, the kid's special. I mean, he's. We need to enjoy this because it's going to be over soon, and we're not. We're not going to see this again for a long time. What Tyler Kolick does better than everyone else, I don't know if anyone watched the last dance. Is they there's a whole conversation where Michael Jordan is like. Um, one of the things that I loved is I would just make up things that I hated about the other person, like because I needed that chip on my shoulder. That is Tyler Kolick every single Big East game, and when he needs to, he'll um he'll lean into what the crowd is saying. He'll be like, "Oh, you know what they're you know they're talking shit." His ability to shoot the three this year, um, his ability to get downhill, his ability to make the right play, even when I feel like Kolick has played bad, he still has felt under control the entire game. Um, I've never felt like he's let the game speed up on him. Um, and I, I, even if he's missing shots, I felt like he was in control of the offense and the shot was the right shot. And he missed a lot of threes that he needed to down the stretch here. Well, remember, they lost three of five at one point this season. Of course. There were several games where he didn't score 10 points. He, he finished in yeah. single digits. I mean, he really went through a tough stretch. Okay, maybe it was one game. No, no, there was two games in a row. He had five points and then two points. He went through a tough stretch, and Marquette went through a tough stretch consequentially. But he's back. I mean, he against Villanova, he was back. He was the best player in the conference that day. And, uh, man, is that special to watch. Right. Is Tyler Kolick or Oso Godora more important to this Marquette team right now? It's Tyler Kolick. It is. I love Oso, and Oso's played better than him in some capacities over the course of the year. But Tyler Kolick, because of the way that every set starts with his, the the ball in his hands, um, what he does distributing, you know, outside of scoring, and then he's a great scorer on top of it. Yeah, I mean, I I think he's more important, while also acknowledging that Oso's probably had the better year. Yeah. Um, and 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 to be clear. I know we're not talking a lot about the Georgetown game, but I believe Cam Jones scores 31 points in the Georgetown game. Um, great career. to see him back on the court. Yeah, career high there. I mean, we're talking, you know, they are a lot like Creighton to me, where they're going to rely on their three or four best players, and that's as far as they're going to take them, especially with their depth being tested in terms of injuries. All right, but that is three minutes on Marquette, so let's move over to your Providence Friars. You put three minutes on the clock, and it was a tough week for the Providence Fire Friars, who go 0-2. We were in the house for their game against UConn, and then we just watched them get trounced by Villanova. I'll start with the UConn game because you got more Villanova takes than I do here. Um, wildly impressed, actually, by the way that they competed. Uh, this is a team that is, again, I think UConn has proved themselves to be like 10 or 15 points better than the best team in the Big East. Um, and Providence came out and they really were able to push it. Unfortunately, that game at a certain point, UConn was up nine and the fouls were being called. So it was very clear that nobody was going to, that was where it was going to end. We were going to end in a nine point game. Um, so, you know, that is what it is, but I do think that, you know, Providence is clearly lacking Bryce Hopkins, not a hot take, but you know, what did you see in this Nova game? Because they only put up 50 points. I mean, they can't score. 
they're just they're not a good offensive team. They're wildly offensively limited. They had a lot of success against UConn because they uglied up the game and turned it into a rock fight, and that was their best chance of winning. So credit them for finding that strategy. But, I mean, they scored 16 points and a half against Villanova's defense, which has been torn apart by other teams. Uh, they're more than missing Bryce Hopkins. They were going to be offensively limited with Bryce Hopkins. Without him, they're anemic offensively. And Kim English with some interesting quotes after the game. You know, uh, I'm going to give the guys less freedom. It's going to be a lot more set plays. Our shot choice has been terrible. Going to go more scripted going forward because he's not liking what he's seeing when he gives them the opportunity to make their own decisions. So, right. We're a problem solution podcast. What's the solution? Because to me, I have no solutions because I think their best solution is giving the ball to Adorum or the post because, you know, he at least can create his own shot. But there's not a lot of dribble driving options on this team. And I think a lot of Biggie teams have figured out, play him off a little bit, contest the three, and then you're good. Well, the solution is to have shooters. The yeah, solution right. is get ticket games to be hot every time, every game, because he can be a great shooter when he's hot. Uh, without shooters, you give the ball to Aduro, they double the paint, and he's got nobody to throw out to, right? Without shooters, everybody plays two feet off you, and you can't dribble drive anywhere because you can't get a first step on them. It's uh, Who said it? I think Sean Miller said, the game is a lot more fun to play when you can shoot the basketball. That is, you'll see that at every level of basketball. I watch a high school game today. They can't shoot. It's just a rock fight. Is that why you don't have fun at pickup? (laughs) (laughs) That was disrespectful, but I can't shoot to save my life, so I got nothing to say. Gaden Pierre, I believe 0 of 11 or 0 of 13 in his last two games from three-point range. Jaden Pierre is this star straw that stirs a drink right now. We know Devin Carter and Josh Adura are really good basketball players. I think Gaines is a really good in his role. Jaden Pierre needs to be special for this team to be a tournament team. Unfortunately, that's not fair to put on your sophomore point guard. Um, and I, I, I mean, I think we're both in agreement there that this team right now just is they're one piece short, and it's like a Bryce Hopkins size hole in our heart right now. I think they're two Bryce Hopkins short. Did you um, think was Bryce Hopkins gonna have two ACLs like fixed and like he was gonna he was gonna do that? But that moves us over to the Seton Hall Pirates. Put three minutes on the clock, Ty. How did they do this week? All right, right. Seton Hall this week, 72-39. They were lucky enough to play DePaul in the game that DePaul um didn't care about. So do you want to just do big picture Seton Hall stuff? Could already Richmond turns? Like, or do you want to talk about this game like what what are you trying to do with Seton Hall right now no I don't have any major takeaways from this game DePaul spent a lot of the game not guarding Seton Hall which was an interesting strategy it didn't work for them they can cross that off the checklist of potential ways to win a Big East basketball game Um, good to know Seton Hall is not regressing to the point where they're going to be competitive with DePaul but that's about the only takeaway you can have there yeah, I mean, bench scoring in this game, again, a conversation. Um, Sanders scored five, and you assume that Kadari Richmond will eventually be moved back into the starting lineup. Um, you know, 18 minutes, he got seven rebounds, two assists, six points, three of five shooting. Is it possible, if we're going to do big picture Seton Hall stuff, that the Kadari Richmond injury will eventually be looked at as not a positive, we never root for an injury, 
But we look at these teams and we say, well, you know, Isaiah Coleman got a lot of run. Or is it just that Seton Hall kind of buried themselves on the bubble? Yeah, Due I, don't, to- I don't think so. I don't think that they're in a situation where there were guys who were on the bench who weren't getting any run that all of a sudden now they're getting run because Kadari got hurt. I, I think you're in much more of a situation where you lost your focal point and dropped a couple games and now you need to reintegrate your focal point into the team um, because they're just not going to win a lot without Kadari Richmond. They just can't. I think the biggest takeaway from Seton Hall this week is that Kadari Richmond played 18 minutes. I mean, you, right. you kind of I, – I don't want to say that it's your bye week because you played DePaul and this isn't, you know, meant as DePaul slander, but you, you won a game and you played one game this week and you have DePaul. So, yeah, you did exactly what you're supposed to do. And Kadari Richmond is getting his feet under him. Um, this Seton Hall team continues to be dangerous if their four guards, Isaiah Coleman, Dylan Adewusu, Alamir Dawes, and Kadari Richmond, are special. Um, Isaiah Coleman has been special this year. Somebody brought up a really interesting question, or, or not even a question, but they suggested because of Seton Hall's NIL situation that this offseason that they may lose all of them, a couple young guys who have shown flashes this year, one of which you just named. Isaiah Coleman? If they can't put together an NIL package. I thought that was interesting. It's not something I thought of, but I'm, we have heard Seton Hall has the worst NIL situation in the Big East. Well, let's, let's talk a little. Let's be honest then. I just went today to the Quinnipiac game. And I asked a few higher up people, Quinnipiac basketball is in the MAAC, the MAC. Um, they told me they are very aware about their NIL situation. They're putting together packages. If Seton Hall can't do that, then yeah, you're right. You don't deserve to continue to keep these players. But do I believe that Seton Hall has some good people in charge of what's going on? Yeah. So I think they're going to figure it out. Isaiah Coleman. Biggie's player for the next four years. Mark it down. That will move us to the other S in the Big East Conference. That would be Rick Patino's S. The St. John's Giants. I'm going to put three minutes on the clock. Um, they might be the biggest loser of the week. Like, uh, if we had to do this, they lost to Xavier 77 to 88, and then they lost to UConn 64 to 77. Either win probably easily propel them into the tournament and to lose both of these games. Um, you know, we're going to be talking about St. John's a lot closer to the bubble than we want to be. Yeah, they're very bubbly right now, which is not what you want. The Xavier game, they needed to win. The UConn game's a wash. It doesn't matter. They're number one team in the country. It doesn't even hurt the metrics. They needed to win that Xavier game because they were being projected ahead of Xavier. And to lose that game, it, you know, all of a sudden it puts them a lot of, like, right in the middle of the bubble. Um, the UConn game? I don't know. I wasn't impressed. I was. I wasn't impressed with St. John's. There's my issue for much of the game, but my issue with the UConn game is when Alex Caravan doesn't play, and you're talking about maybe the best UConn player. I I get that's a maybe a credit to UConn question. This is not a 13 point game. Donovan Klingon doesn't play most of this game because of foul trouble. Um, you know, this is a game that I thought. I thought St. John's would win, to be honest. Um, UConn's four and a half point favorites, but I was like, well, without Caravan, then they're right there. And to lose to Xavier, you know, in a game that, you know, 
they're very bubbly. Xavier is extremely bubbly too. I, I feel like Xavier is like Xavier right now on the stove is like the water is starting to make a noise, right? It's not bubbling, but the water is starting to make a noise before you're boiling the pasta. St. John's, you're like borderline bubbling over. And to lose this game against um, Xavier in a winnable fashion, I mean, Quincy, who's going to be on later, you know, goes off at the end of this game. You know, you, there's some real question about St. John's and like if they are, you know, how much they've underperformed. At their worst, in the games they lose, they still look like a bunch of transfers who aren't playing together. And I'm not going to call kids out because that's not what we do on this call podcast. Call out. But, you know, you watch a lot of missed defensive assignments. You watch a lot of low-effort defensive uh, sequences. In the games they've won, in, in the most important games they've won, it's really been Joel Soriano and Dennis Jenkins kind of owning that those games, but Dennis I mean, Jenkins hitting step back threes in that first half against UConn, I really thought they were going to win that game. Like he was Dennis, that good. Dennis Jenkins is a top four uh, point guard in the Big East. I mean, it goes Kadari, Kolick, and Newton as a tier of their own, but I believe Dennis Jenkins is is number four. He's Posh, Posh Dennis, like right there. I, I have Dennis. Oh, I do too. His ability to score the basketball. The fact that they let him play two years at Pacific, which is the lowest WCC school, and then one year at Iona. I mean, I don't know how you missed that bet on him. Nobody was watching this kid play. His ability to score on pick and roll and his ability to score like uh, behind the line, um, behind the three-point line is incredible. No, Three-level three score, high-level defender. He's going to give you a ton of effort. He runs the press for Patino. What is he missing? Uh, height, maybe. Yeah, I don't think he's any shorter than Kolek. Hmm? Well, he's not Tyler Kolek. All right. But that moves us over to your UConn Huskies, who, again, we were in the building for the first game. And then they went and beat St. John's at Madison Square Garden. So let's put three minutes on the clock. Big uh, takeaways from UConn this week. Best team in the country. I mean, it's not close to me. Um, Purdue is right there. They are a very much – I don't want to talk too much about Purdue, obviously, but a one-trick pony where they're going to get the ball to Edie and Edie's going to pass out to Smith and uh, Lawyer. This UConn team, their ability to win in so many different ways. Ryan and I have tried to highlight that throughout the season. You know, Tristan Newton could be the best player on the court. Alex Caravan could be the best player on the court. Cam Spencer, Stefan Castle. And for the last few weeks, we've seen Stefan Castle. I think any UConn conversation has to talk about how Stefan Castle has turned into their best defender and one of their three best offensive options. Yeah, he's been tremendous. And, and, and it's crazy what Hurley does where he just keeps building people, you know, throughout the season where he, people are making noticeable improvement. And yeah, he's a freshman, so you expect some noticeable improvement. But to get him to this point where he's not a focal point, he's not even the, the third option. He's the fifth option. He could be the sixth option on some um, in some games. And to get him to this point where he's playing at this level, it's credit to Hurley. Now, I did text you this in, in the game. Donovan Cleaning played an average of 15 minutes over these two games because he was in foul trouble and because he can't stay out of foul trouble because he likes to bite on pump fakes and hit guys in the head. Uh, because of that. When he's not on the floor, I do believe they're beatable. 
Now, that's a pretty big stipulation if you take off one of the most impactful players in the country. They're beatable. I'm not sure many teams would pass that test. But I think that's the formula. If you're looking to beat them, and Providence almost used it to beat them. Right. If Zach Eady missed five games of Big Ten play, would they go undefeated? No. So why did UConn do it without Klingon? I mean, first off, they barely did. What? You know, first off, they barely did. They did, though. Those games were much closer than the games when Klingon came back. They fought and scrapped, and credit to them. Okay. But, no, they're, I, I do absolutely believe they're beatable when Donovan Kling is not on the floor because of the difference that he makes defensively. I mean, he he's almost a multiplier. He almost makes the defense twice as good as it is when he's not on the floor. We are we are so extremely biased to be like what Klingon is. Klingon defensively last year was this good. We talked many times last year about being like, Sonogo might have been the best offensive player in the country at certain points last year, and we still said they might have had to play Klingon out of necessity of how good he was defensively. So this isn't a new phenomenon that we're coming out across. I just think we are so spoiled in terms of what we've seen from UConn to be like, hey, you know what? They are, you know, they're beatable without Klingon on the court. They just won a game by 13 points at St. John's without Carabin and without clinging for a lot of that game. I mean, this is a this is an incredible team. Like we are watching the best team in the country in the best conference in the country. And we're now like almost I don't want to say we're nitpicking, but we're just saying like what could possibly derail that, right? Well, first off, we do this weekly. I can't do three minutes every week about how good they are. So yeah, I'm gonna point out Donovan Klingon has shown a weakness. And, you know, let's talk about it. We do three minutes every week on how bad DePaul is. <laughs> well, I, actually, if you remember earlier in this episode, I cut it short because I can't listen to it anymore. That's true. Uh, all right. But that leaves one more team before our team of the week. That would be your Villanova Wildcats. They have a Jekyll and Hyde week. They lose to Marquette in a game that probably knocked them off the NCAA tournament bubble. And then they beat the Providence Friars tonight in a team in a game that put them right back on the bubble. Weirdly, go ahead. Weirdly, this Marquette game showed me so much of what they could be. I thought their offense, when they especially fell behind early, was so much more free flowing that they allowed their players to be. Um, we talked about this a lot. Shaka's uh, quote: "Star in your role." I thought they did a really nice job of starring in what the role that the players thought they should be in. Tyler Burton not just sitting in the corner hitting threes. Um, Eric Dixon had a bunch of putbacks. Justin Moore getting out in transition and hitting threes and like hitting a few layups. Um, they battled back in that game. I thought they should have won that game. They lose. And it followed that up with a 20-point win against Providence. I mean, we're talking about this team in terms of bubbly on the right side right now, probably, right? Yeah, I think right now they're like an 11 seed, first four in type of situation. Um, one thing they did in that Marquette game, which we haven't seen them do, is they got out in transition and they pushed it, and Mark Armstrong specifically, because the kid's freaking electric. Um, and I was talking to Colin Gillespie during this game, and he was talking about, he was like, yeah, I think Nep finally gave him the green light to, to run because they can't get anything going into half court. Um, so that was really cool to see, and hopefully – that's something we see more. We didn't have to see it today against Providence because Providence scored 16 points and a half. It was a better defensive effort today against Providence. Lance Ware had three blocks. It was his best defensive game of the year. P.J. Bamba has really come along and has actually 
developed into a rock solid piece and owns none of the troubles that Villanova is going through. But I still think they're defensively limited, specifically in the pick and roll. And I think Tyler Kolek just exposed it because he's the best pick and roll operator in the country and torched him. I agree. Villanova's or uh, Marquette's a really bad matchup for Villanova. Um, their ability to run that pick and roll in that same way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think what you were saying about their offense, about letting them run a little bit, was really good. Justin Moore looked the most comfortable I'd seen him all year against um, Marquette. He, uh, you know, getting out and shooting some of those threes. You know, we've talked about last week that you can't just keep playing Villanova basketball if you don't have the personnel to play Villanova basketball. So the ability for Kyle Neptune to kind of adapt and say, wait, we got to run. Um, right. I, yeah, no, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but you. It's a, it's a small testament to Kyle Neptune to decide in the 12th game of Big East play when he's been knocked out of the NCAA tournament unofficially that maybe I should change things up a little bit. Well, right. I mean, you had a little, I didn't get to watch much of this game today at all. Um, your, your question, their defense, they held Providence at 50 points. Is that just Providence or is that Villanova? I think largely that has to do with Providence. Providence missed a lot of open shots. I do think that the defense was better. When you Listen, when you're active and when you're engaged, when your hands are all over the place and you're making second efforts, you can hide a lot of any structural issues you have defensively. But at the end of the day, they do not have a good answer to the pick and roll. But Providence doesn't have a very good pick and roll duo. Um, Josh Adoro and either Carter or Pierre are not a great pick and roll duo the way Kolek and Godaro are or Tristan Newton, Donovan Klingon are, or Dennis Jenkins and Joel Soriano are. So is this Villanova team built to make the tournament, or are they going to be held back by their coaching? I don't think they'll make the NCAA tournament. It was great to see them play well today, but I think there's too many issues, but I will eat my words if they end up making it. All right, that's 10 teams, 10 Big East teams. That leaves just one more, and we have, a special guest, and the presumptive player of the week coming up. So stick around after this short break. All right, Big East Barroom fans, we are excited to announce that we have joined forces and partnered with Home Field Apparel. One of the great things about Home Field Apparel is they cover all 11 Big East teams. I like it because you get the generic shirts from the team store and all this. No. You're going to home field apparel. You're going to be getting a new shirt. You're going to be wearing something unique. People are going to stop you. They're going to say, where'd you get that? You're going to say home field apparel. All right. You're going to say, enter the code B-E-B-R and you get a discount. How about that? And then you're going to take their phone. We've talked a lot about this on the podcast. You're going to take their phone. You're going to take their credit card out respectfully. And you're going to put in the information B-E-B-R, get yourself a discount, get yourself a Big East shirt. You're going to the Big East tournament. You want to wear a shirt. You don't want to be the guy who has the Creighton Blue Jay, just like everybody else. Go get yourself a shirt, Home Field Apparel, B-E-B-R. Check us out. All right, Big East Barroom fans, we are joined by what should be at this point considered the Big East Player of the Week, Quincy Oliveri from Xavier, who two wins, two dominating performances. Quincy, thank you so much for hopping back on with us. We really appreciate you. Oh, yeah, no problem. No problem. Shout out, shout out, shout out my uh, my Big East barroom guys. Appreciate you, man. And uh, the last time we had you on here, you were a stranger to the Big East. We weren't really familiar with your game. 
you've made a hell of an introduction over these last few months and now everybody's talking about you so it's really cool for you to come back on and catch up with us we really appreciate it Oh, yeah, no, no problem. No problem. this week you played against saint john's at the Sintas center and it looked like that place was rocking you talk about the atmosphere and how important that is to your xavier basketball team Yeah, so going into the game, Coach Miller and Coach Cohen and I think really all of the coaches emphasized that this game or the game will be similar to a crosstown shootout type of atmosphere where it's where the team that's gonna play the hardest and be the most coachable and have the least amount of mistakes or have the best chance to win the game. It's going to be loud. The crowd's going to be into it. And it's going to be a very physical game. And it definitely was that. It wasn't – obviously, it wasn't a crosstown shootout because a crosstown shootout means a lot more to Cincinnati uh, citizens. But it was very loud. It was it was electric in there. And it was, it was a good game. I'm glad we could pull the win out for sure. But our home crowd – It, I didn't know what it really meant until I got here. Obviously, the John Rothstein's tweets I would see when I was at Rice, like the Centos Center is one of the best home courts, or people telling me before the season you're gonna love the Centos, and you never really know until you're in it, or you hit a you hit a big shot, or we get a big stop, or like Centos Center, man, that home crowd is that's top tier. Like I. I live for the home games here. Like I really do enjoy the home games here. I love, I love, I love playing at home because it's it's an amazing environment, it's an amazing atmosphere. Quincy, one of the I think the reasons that you've captured like the Big East hearts is that your attachment to Cincinnati. What you know in this one year you've played at Cincinnati, I know you spoke so highly of Rice in the off season. So like I know Rice has a big part of your heart too. But what has Quincinnati? now become like for you like is that is that the home way from home You know, I don't really know yet. I think with me being in season, it's easier for people to kind of like recognize me or kind of point me out in comparison to other places. But, I mean, the people here, they show me a lot of love. Um, I Through my play, I've obviously developed a platform where people are looking at me, and I've tried my best to maintain who I am. I feel like I'm a person who loves to give back to kids. Just genuinely, I love to take pictures with everyone. I love to make sure that everyone feels like as if they're important because I I definitely know what it feels like to be a kid and somebody that you see on TV or somebody that you look up to or somebody that you want to be like or just a player that you enjoy watching play make you feel like you're not just a like just another fan like oh, what's your name? Like like how I met Lily or how I met George. Like, just ask the kid his name. And then through the whole conversation, just call him their name. So it's like, oh, he actually cares about having this conversation with me. It's not just, oh, what up, buddy? Oh, what up, bro? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, oh, no. How was your day, George? You have a good day at school? Or, hey, Lily, I appreciate the video of you wishing me luck or making me a wristband. You know, just making sure that they know that I care about them as a genuine person because if I wasn't this uh, athlete that had a platform, uh, I would still have a conversation with a regular person like, oh, yeah, what's up, uh, Coach Miller? Or what's up, Adam? Like, oh, yeah, that's my that's my homeboy, Adam. 
you know, I wouldn't just say, oh, that's my homeboy. Uh, I don't remember your name. You would actually get to know him as a regular person. So I try to take that into day-to-day -day interactions. And I, I guess people just fell in love with the genuine, genuine uh, personality I have. Quincy, uh, Cincinnati's damn lucky to have you. Uh, we see all the awesome work you do with the children of the area, um, you know, doing the the special person of the day with that student. And just want to say the entire Big East sees that, and we really respect it a lot. And it's really cool to see a player do that with kids. Oh, yeah, I appreciate it. I definitely appreciate that. I mean, I've always liked to hang out around little kids. Like I said, like, I, I know how I felt to be that young and want to – be a want to be an Atlanta Hawk for a day and meet Mike Bibby or Joe Johnson or Jamal Crawford. So I could imagine if they would have came to my elementary school and spent lunch with me. And I'm pretty sure George walks around feeling like he's the coolest kid ever, you know. And obviously his 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 uh mom and dad, like we communicate. They're they're friends now. They're not just fans. And that's probably a cool feeling. He'll probably he, he won't really understand like what's really happening now because I mean he's in kindergarten it's not really much that we remember being in kindergarten but as he gets older and if I maintain the platform and make it to the 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 big the highest level I can then I'm pretty sure as he gets older he's like oh I know a NBA player that pretty that I can access and like call and just say hey uh speaking of playing at the highest level you know one of the things that has made Cincinnati fall in love with you, as well as your, you know, the genuine personality that you just exhibit all the time, is you just step up in huge moments. And this game against St. John's, you hit two threes with less than two minutes ago. Those are two of the biggest shots of the Xavier basketball season. Can you walk us through those shots, those plays, and how you got into them? I mean, the normally down the stretch. We Coach Miller does a good job of like calling plays, and in this moment, in those particular moments, or at least the 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 first three, he called a play for Des because St. John's was switching some of our certain uh, screens, and all of us agree, like especially on the team, and we believe in Des attacking a switch, getting downhill, playing off to making the right decision, whether that's a pass or, or a jump shot. And in that situation, that's what Coach Miller called, and as you saw from the clip, if you if if like. Uh, we go back. I'm just sitting in the corner. I'm just waiting. I'm watching because I, I trust Des, middle of the floor, space, one-on-one. -on -one. Like, I really trust Des getting the bucket or making the right decision there. And we do a good job of crashing offensive rebounds. I think we're second in the Big East, they said, in offensive rebounding. And so Dalen just did a good job of crashing off of Dalen's miss. He found me in the corner, and I just heard everybody behind me say, shoot it. Didn't know how much time was on the clock. And I didn't think about it. I trusted my work that I do every morning, shooting shooting shots, and it went in. And, I mean, it was almost as if the place erupted. You know, it that was that was crazy. And then the second one, I believe we, we broke the press, and Coach Miller, I was slowing it down. I, I believe Coach Miller was telling me to go on. It was like a three-on-two or three-on-three fast break, had a lane to the paint, try to attack, either get fired or make the bucket. I got blocked. Coach Miller called the under out of bounds play, and I knew it was going to me. You know, so you kind of get your mind right. Like, okay, if they overplay it, this is what happens after. If they don't play it, just you know, just at the end of the day, just take a deep breath. And honestly, I, I joke about it, but I really do mean this. 
when the Lakers played the Warriors the night before we played UConn, I stayed up when I shouldn't have just because we played a noon game, but I love Steph Curry. I stayed up in that double overtime game, and Steph Curry hit a three at the top of the key to potentially win the game before LeBron got fouled and hit the two free throws. But he he got a flare screen at the top of the key and hit the three, and as he hit it, he held his follow-through up. And it was all net, and he as he started running back down the court, and I just remember going crazy. Like, in the bed, I was going crazy. And I just remember when I got the three at the top of the key, again, at St. John's, before I let it go, I said, I feel like Steph Curry. <laughs> and I shot it, and I honestly thought it was going to hit back rim and miss, and it went in, and I said, I really feel like Steph Curry. Like, I promise you that is not a made-up story. I joke about it because it kind of sounds fake, but I promise you it was the top of the key three, and I was like, Steph Curry, I made it. And internally, I lost my mind because I'm like, I really just did that. I made it. We just got to get a stop. But, I mean, the rest is history. Quince, one of my favorite things about you is um, you are extremely self-aware. I will never release our DMs, but they're hilarious to anybody who ever um, would see them. But you know Xavier's fighting for the life every night. You are very aware of you guys are in the middle of the pack. You guys are fighting for that tournament bid. St. John's is fighting for that tournament bid in some ways too. What is that like with two desperate teams absolutely, you know, clawing at each other every single possession and knowing that, you know, your postseason career might be on the line every single night? It raises your level of focus and attention. And, you know, that's that's all that 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 as a result creates high level basketball. And that's what makes the Big East so, so, so intriguing and one of the best conferences in the in the country, because every team has opportunity to do something special. And I mean, like, look at Georgetown, for example, there I don't I personally don't believe their record. Is a direct representation of who they are as a program. And I mean, that's apparent just based on how, how they played us. You know, we, it, it took us the whole 40 minutes to beat them. And I don't, I don't think that, I believe that if we took multiple plays off, if we weren't locked in from start to beginning, then that game could have gone totally different. But in us in St. John's example, like you said, we're both fighting for a, a, a tournament bid and when the game is neck and neck all the way up until the 38 minute mark or two minutes left in the game or a minute left in the game like those are two high level teams competing for the same thing and the difference will be who can execute the best and on uh defense get get stops and i think that that was what i was one of the things i was searching for when coming to one of the uh uh, uh high major school was just a uh, situation that'll push my mental toughness and focus. And then speaking of, you know, doing special stuff and pushing your focus, you go out the next night and you drop 43 points, not the next night, excuse me, the next game, you drop 43 points on the ball blue demons. I mean, that's one of the all-time performances. I mean, it's the best scoring performance of Big E season this year, like easily by a significant Best scoring margin. performance of Sean Miller's um, coaching career, I believe, as well as I saw this week. What is it like to be in a groove like that? I can't even tell you, man. Because, like, a lot of people, they'll try to go in a game and be like, yeah, I'm dropping 40, I'm dropping 40, blah, blah, blah. Like, honestly, I had just got this Dame Lillard watch. They had gave it away at uh, Milwaukee Bucks games. 
and I really liked it. So I found it on eBay like earlier last week or, and I was, I just bought it. And I was like, I'm gonna wear this every game day. And ironically it came right before we left for the trip. So I was walking around and everywhere I was going, I was just holding my wrist up like this. Like it's Dame time. It's Dame time. I'm pointing at my watch. It's Dame time. And I was joking about it all the time. And I would hold my wrist up and I would just say, yeah, I'm, I'm finna drop like 40, 50. And I would joke around, you know, like I, wasn't one of those times where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be locked in and drop 50. I'm going to make sure I'm doing everything right. And I would just joke around. And right before the game, I would just joke around, just hold my wrist up and show the watch. Like, it's Dame time. It's Dame time. I'm going to go crazy. And some that, that whole day of the game, I just felt good. You know, I didn't do anything different. Uh, I didn't, like, eat any special food. And then when the game started – my focus was just playing the right way, honestly. I mean, shoot when I'm open, trust the offense, let my teammates shoot their open shots and crash the glasses as hard as I can, play defense as hard as I can and remember the scouts and the scouting points we had and scout and transition. And one shot led to another, then a layup led to another and getting to the free throw line. And next thing you know, I'm three for three or four for four. And... I just kept attacking. I mean, my uncle told me that day before the game. He said, "Just main, just be aggressive, because when you when you're aggressive, it's a, it's a beauty it's a beauty to watch." And I'm looking up, and I think it's like 15 minutes left in the first half, maybe 14, and I have like 13 points. And I'm like, I might score 40 today. Hey. The rest is history. Do you know the last time a Big East player scored 40 points? Did you look this up after your performance? I didn't look it up. Um, but I don't I don't I, I don't know. James Booknight. I'm gonna guess oh, I was gonna guess Miles. Miles wow. James Booknight, 2020. Miles. So Wow. So it's been over three years. And then the last time somebody scored more than you, yeah, I'll let you guess this time. David Weston, that was A ten. Yeah, yeah, that was A ten. This is in the Big East, correct? Yeah. So Book Knight didn't have more than forty three? Nope. Forty was the most he ever went for. Against Creighton Rye? Yes, I believe so. I'ma just say uh Miles Powell then. That's the that's the easiest answer. Miles Powell is a great answer. Marcus Howard went for fifty one in two thousand. Wow, I forgot Marcus Howard went to Marquette. Yep. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, I forgot all about Marquette and answering that using them as a yeah, that, yeah. He was a beast. You have the top scoring performance in the Big East since two November 29th, 2019. Wow. Hopefully, I mean records are made to be broken, but let's 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 keep this one on the shelf for a little bit. <laughs> hey, that one lasted five years. Yours can go for five, you know. Did they have any turnovers? <laughs> <laughs> That's important. Now, now you know like how everybody else like to stretch stat lines. Let's see who was the last person to score 43 with zero turnovers and have a double-double and play more than 35. Let's like add little tidbits of it and see how specific we can get and make it this very turned into an This turned into an ESPN stat line of like <laughs> you have to have like a certain amount of height and your name starts to right. with you. <laughs> and they have to at least be 22. You know, let's yeah. make it very specific. In their fifth year of college. Quince, I did want to quiz you for today, and I didn't, you know, you might know your stat line. So we're only talking about this week, St. John's and DePaul. One of the things you talked about is um, your ability to rebound. How many rebounds do you think you grabbed this week? 17. 
I'm divided not. by two. Uh, what's that? Eighteen and a half. Seven and ten. And then you shot twenty threes this week. That's my last question for you. What did you shoot from three? Four for eight, St. John's, and I believe seven for twelve yesterday. Eleven for twenty. <laughs> what can I say? I'm a numbers guy. On on the dot. I mean, you're shooting fifty five percent from three. I mean, and you dropped sixty six points this week. And then you know, you averaged thirty one and a half is my or thirty two and a half is my quick uh. You so know, I twenty three and twenty three and forty three sixty six. So thirty three points you average this week. Yeah. Points one more. Do you know who the leading store scorer in the Big East season is as of today? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's me. It's nineteen point one. Hey. When you transfer, talk your shit. Transfer to Xavier. I mean, did you ever imagine you'd lead the Big East? The Big East, according to Ken Palm, is the second best conference in America, and you're leading it in scoring. Like, was did that even cross your mind? Not at all. I mean, even in Conference USA, I, I didn't lead it in scoring. And when I transferred here, I obviously didn't think – I mean, not obviously. I honestly did not think, like, I'd have as large of a role. You know, I think, like, my role here is amazing. And I did sign up to start. and But, like, like it's, it's just not what I thought this would look like. I mean, I, I I have a journal that I write my dreams down before this season every year. I've been doing it since my sophomore year. And for the last three years, I've wrote in that journal, have a 40-point game and win it. I've never achieved it. And I did it this year. Like, I finally did it. And it always says, have a blank point game and win. That's crazy. Quince, before we get out of here, you, Davion, Dez, I mean, your whole starting five were playing their best basketball. Xavier, why should every Xavier fan believe that this team is going to qualify for the NCAA tournament and we're going to get to watch you for a lot more games? Because our head coach is Sean Miller. Clip it, Rye. Clip it, Rye. Wait, it's, it's such a pleasure to get you in the bar room. Thank you so much for uh, something. And it's been such a pleasure to watch you all year. So thank you. Hey. Appreciate y'all. Thank y'all for inviting me on here again. What one more time when you're ready for the Big East tournament? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And y'all gonna be in New York, right? Yes, sir. So we're gonna get to say hi to you. We can do that live. We can do that live. I mean, like in person. Yeah, that'd be fun for sure. Hey, thank you, Quince. I got you. Well, that interview was a lot of fun. Can't thank Quincy enough for coming on to Big East Barroom for his second appearance. Ty, anything you want to say to wrap up week 13 of the Big East Barroom? Um, every once in a while, Ryan and I get very lucky in terms of the kids that we get to meet on this. Tyler Kolick last year, Quincy Oliveira this year. These are – I want to highlight that these are not just great basketball players. These are great human beings, Um, you know, very humble. And we are lucky enough to have Quincy on, you know, and he wants to come on again before the Big East tournament. So – we're going to hold them to that, right? We're going to try. But we're, we're, we're extremely lucky. And um, I I would say that whatever transfers coming in the Big East next year, like make friends of the Big East Barroom because you're probably going to be one of the best players in the conference. And as always, thanks for pulling up a stool. <laughs>